HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and 3, our weekly food news roundup. This week, we're looking at the way labels shape our perspectives on food. I know you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but is it acceptable to judge a wine by its label? There are some labels that I'd say are so bad they're good. As long as your paperwork's in good shape, you'll get a grass-fed label. Tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network. That's meet plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Akiko Tema, food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deeper understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcast live from our studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, so I'll try to demystify it, demystify it in this program with my good guests. And my guest today is Andrew Richardson, who has worked at the World Sake Imports, which is one of the best sake importers in the U.S. for the last 11 years. And he also worked at uh, the legendary New American restaurant, WD50, and created in- very interesting sake pairing uh, menus for widely different. And so, and I'm always impressed by Andrew's uh, experience and uh, tremendous knowledge of sake. So we'll discuss um, how he encountered with sake, how he got involved in the sake industry in, at this deep level, and his favorite sake breweries, and much, much more. But before we start, Japan Needs is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify, and subscribe to Japan Needs. And please write a review. We appreciate your feedback. Also, if you have any ideas about topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. You can email us at japanneeds.heritageradionetwork.org or akikuatema.com. And I have a quick announcement about the fun event. The 23rd Sumo Stew is coming to New York on Monday, November 12th at 8 p.m. at Brooklyn Brewery in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. 
And as you may know, Sumo Stew is a seasonal live streaming event of Sumo matches straight from Japan. And you can enjoy Japanese food from outstanding restaurants as you watch the fun matches. And it's matches are very captivating if you know Sumo. Uh, so tickets are available at eventbrite.com and search for Sumo Stew. Again, it's eventbrite.com and search for Sumo Stew. And uh, so uh, one, uh, this is the discount code for uh, Japanese listeners. It's ten dollars off, and the code is W W um, no W S S S Japanese. One word S S Japanese W S Japanese. And uh, so please, uh, I hope to see you there. And that's the, uh, let's start a conversation with Andrew Richardson. And hello, Andrew. Hi, hello. how are you? Great. So you have a radio voice. Well, you know, some people have told me that before, but I, it, when it when it's not on the microphone, it's a little a little gruff. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> right. So, uh, yeah, on episode one twenty one, uh, your president um, of the World Stock Import, Chris Pierce, came, and he was such an amazing person. Oh yeah, he's a real character. Right. You know, he's, he's he's the first the first non Japanese person to bring in premium sake into the United States of America, mm. uh, and you know we're we're a Hawaiian company, so you can you can use your imagination as to seeing what that is like. It's kind of laid back and and relaxed, <laughs> and Chris is definitely a really interesting individual. Mm, right. So is that a corporate culture? Somebody is so laid back and fun and relaxed. Well, you know, we have structure, and we have we ha- we are we are a company that you know uh, you know has rules and, and and things but i wouldn't necessarily say it's a corporate like suit and tie culture like mm-hmm. maybe one of the other japanese food corporations like i don't have you, you see me now i'm not wearing a tie which i appreciate mm. if i have to i will but it's not really you know corporate america it's a uh, corporate hawaii with the japanese uh feel mm. right. if you sell good sake with uh, some spirits in it you don't want to have any corporate structure no no i don't think we need it right. um, i mean i think you do need structure but maybe you know, within the within the regulations of, of mm. making the business operate. Right. Okay, so let's talk about your background. So I just mentioned you're a relaxed person and yeah, yeah I heard you were from uh, Canada. Yeah. Yeah, I'm born I'm born and raised in, in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, uh, on the west coast or, you know, the western Canada as we, we call it. Uh, not really the west coast, but you know, right above uh, Idaho uh, or Spokane in the in the right close to the Rocky Mountains. Um, it's a very cold, uh, beautiful country or part of the country. Uh, we're very famous for for oil and beef mm. and timber. <laughs> right. So uh, yeah, I grew up there, and then I moved on to Oregon, to the West Coast, uh, and I started my my time in the United States uh, in Portland, in Portland, Oregon. Nice. Yeah. Mm. So and that was that was a long time ago. Portland has really blossomed into a new uh, you know food culture and city. Mm. Uh, when I was in Portland, uh, I worked in the very first restaurant in the in the Pearl District. Uh, and the Pearl District is kind of like a trendy you know kind of hip uh, area of Portland now. Mm. And and there was a there was somebody that had the vision to open that first restaurant. Uh, and it actually led me to some of my first experiences with sake. Also, mm. um, the restaurant was a place called Bima, and it was it was a, a more of a modern American place. It wasn't a Japanese restaurant, um, 
And then afterwards, when they decided to sell the restaurant, they actually sold it to a Japanese corporation. Mm. Uh, and they and they opened up a sushi bar and they brought over all this sake, hand carried sake, uh, you know, on airplanes, not not actually imported. Wow. And they had this extensive, you know, issue or one point eight liter bottle sake menu. And mm. That was my that was actually my very first, you know, hands on experience with with Japanese sake. Right. So. By the way, Ishobin is the, you know, like yeah. a 1800, 1800 milliliters, milliliter, yeah. which is like huge, magnum-sized sake. Yeah. But that's the standard in Japan. This is the standard. You know, this is what I try and, this is what I try and explain to, to my customers, to people that are buying from me. I, I really push selling the large format bottles in crafts because it maintains the freshness, the taste, the quality. Mm. Um, when you're buying a nice little bottle, yes, they're beautiful, they're cute. But, you know, you're, you're paying for that packaging. Mm. It's if it cuts the cost, you know, twenty five, thirty percent, so the customer can can get it at a better price. Because mm. you know, let's be honest, sake is a little bit expensive because it has to be imported one month on a ship, come all the way from Japan. When we import it, we import it, uh, you know, in refrigerated containers. When it's in the warehouse, it's refrigerated. From the moment it comes to your front door, it's refrigerated. That's kind of our our idea, our policy mm. for world sake. Right. Um, you know, we we like to educate, but also we like to have the taste exactly like or as close to as it can be coming straight from the brewery in Japan. Mm, well, I, I didn't have any station at the beginning to introduce one of the best sake importers in this country because I know that that's the philosophy, right? Mm. Just the moment you eat the, the sake bottle left the Kura in Japan, you have the same taste. That's the ideal. This is this is what we this is what we keep a tight inventory. I mean, you know, this is all nerdy stuff for people that are listening, but we really like to make sure that it tastes the same or as close to as it can mm-hmm. as coming from the brewery. It's important because it's very important. It's like a, you know fresh rosé or yes, like Beaujolais Nouveau. Yeah. That kind of idea, right? Yeah, no, it, it's it's definitely you, you definitely with sake. It's a perishable beverage, so if it's kept in improper condition or you know not stored properly, it affects the taste. Mm. Now, that being said, some of some sakes, like one of my my producers, you know, uh, Tomagawa, which is uh, a gentleman that that runs the brewery or that's the toji, which is the brewmaster, uh, is named Philip Harper. And he feels that the way that he makes his sake, because he makes it in a very old style and with the way that he he produces the yeast wild in the in the brewery and all the things that he does that that make the sake the way that he wants it, he feels that you can leave his sake unopened on a bar for six months and it'll actually taste better. Mm. But that is not a normal, you know, idea. When we're talking about, you know, Dewazakura or Masumi or one of these other breweries, they're definitely refrigerated and kept it, kept at well, a low, lower temperature. I, I never heard of that slight aging process oh, just yeah. a benefit. Interesting. Yeah. You know what? I, a brief, quick story, because I can know I can go off on a tangent. But one time I was, you know, Philip Harper came last last year it was and we were cruising around and I, we we had I, when i go to places i taste with different customers and so we ran out of the kincho which is one of the daiginjo bottles so i said oh my god what am i going to do and we're in the middle of our tour of the city so like okay i'm going to go to one of my wine shops and so i went went to the wine shop and i knew that she had the the kincho mm. the daiginjo and i went in and i was like okay thank you can i borrow a bottle okay i come back and bring it tomorrow so we took the bottle we went to the next visit we went to satsuko sake bar satsukos which is one of the best little hole in the wall sake bars in the city and we went in and i went to pour the sake and i looked at it and it was yellow and i'm like oh my <laughs> god this is a daiginjo it's not supposed to be yellow it's not supposed to be discolored oh yeah 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 and philip harper's watching my face my, exp- my facial expressions and he's like ha, 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 
you know, he's laughing at me because mm. he's like, oh, this is going to be fantastic. This is going to be delicious. Where I'm thinking, oh, it's old, it's spoiled, it's not good. And he was so excited. So needless to say, he was correct. But that is a rare instance. Mm, so we don't know any conditions how aged sake can be actually good or not. Yeah, it, it, with, it depends on also the way that it's produced in the beginning. Mm. Right. So he makes sake that he feels can age properly. Huh. So it's a little different. And like, you know, some other breweries will age at minus five degrees Celsius to, 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 to soften the, the, the style of the taste. Mm, interesting. So I have a couple bottles of sake and I was waiting for the opportunity to open. It's probably past. <laughs> Maybe some you, of them will be again. You should, you should drink your sake fresh <laughs> and I hope it's in the refrigerator. Um, okay. I did, I did have an old bottle for, I think it might have been about eight or ten years from Niigata. Uh, from the north of Japan, uh, and it came from my grandparents' house, and it was in their cold storage, wasn't in the refrigerator. And then I put it in my refrigerator, and then I opened it, you know, years later, and it was okay. Mm. It, it wasn't bad. It wasn't gonna, you're not going to get sick, but it well, it lost a little bit of its of interesting. Its wow. Okay, so I'll find out. I'll let you know. Okay, but I, I'm I, curious. Really interesting to you know how to theorize what can be aged, what cannot be, and maybe like yeast or koji or those interaction of it. It's very true. Right. Yeah. Okay, so but maybe when we come back, we'll discuss that. Too. No problem. Um, okay, so let's just go back to your. You know, sake history, personal sake history. So you got exposed to that uh, Isho Beam, the mm. large bottle. Exactly. And uh, so what is your first impression of sake? Well, my first impression of sake is that it's such a subtle, beautiful taste. So I, I like a really, uh, you know, floral or aromatic feminine sake. Mm. That, that's what I like. Um, I, I prefer something that has a nice aroma and nice mm. fragrance. So when I first tasted sake, I was very surprised at how clean the tastes were. Um, and they're really kind of, uh, you know, soft and silky and easy for me to drink. So that, that's what I like about general, gen, that's a generalization about sakes. Because there's many different varieties and many different styles. Like if you're going to have a kimoto sake, it's not going to really match up to, well, depends on the kimoto, mm. match up to like a nice aromatic ginjo sake because it's made differently. Mm. So that's the thing that you, that people can really learn about sake is to see the different styles and, and the ways that they are. It's also a very clean beverage, right? So if you're if I'm only drinking sake and not mixing any other types of alcohol, well, actually, nihonshu, if I'm, if I'm drinking nihonshu, so what we call in Japan sake, uh, or in America, sake, then I'm not really going to get any kind of, you know, side effects from it as long as I'm drinking water and taking care of myself. Mm. From me, you know, um, it's there's there's no cogens, there's the, the impurities. They're not there that are in some other alcohols. Mm. So that's another bonus for me is that I can drink it. Mm. <laughs> well, I can drink it a lot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. Just one um, type of rice. That's rice grape can be completely different species varieties, but with rice, although there are different. Yeah, there are species. there are yeah there are different varieties of rice, which are really interesting and they bring different tastes. But it is it the the thing that the thing that I think that is most miraculous about sake and sake production is koji, 
And I'm sure that you've talked about Koji before on your on your show. Mm, um, we get, you know, I had a Koji specialist. Yeah, because yeah. Koji is the heartbeat of Japanese cuisine. Mm. Um, Koji provides us with miso, soy sauce, and sake. So mm. without Koji-san, there is no sake. Right. And I think that it's really interesting that we can take this, this you know, organism and it breaks down the starches into sugars. And if you don't know how sake is made, sake goes through a parallel fermentation. So we actually need to break down the starch into, into simple sugars in order for the yeast to come in and eat to make the alcohol. Mm. So this is an important thing. Without koji, there is no sake. When we have when we have grapes, if we have juice, when we squeeze or crush the grapes, mm. there's naturally occurring sugars in the grapes. Right. So that obviously, mm. you know, it's easy. You add the yeast and boom. But sake is a little, little bit more complicated. Right. So that's the magic of sake. And it's because the process is similar to beer, but... Mm. The way uh, the starch is broke, broken down into, you know, the sugar, sugar to alcohol and CO2, the two steps in beer. But it's in sake, it happens in the same, the same box at same, the same, same time. time. Mm. Parall parallel fermentation. Right. And then, you know, you also, like beer, which is also very similar, the water. Right. Without the water, you without the Japanese water, you can take the toji, you can take the rice, you can take everything. But it's it's going going to be different because the water content, the minerals in the water, are different. Mm. So it's very interesting. It's kind of like when you see these these advertisements. It's the water, the bagel, New York bagel. Right. It's it's the same <laughs> same kind of concept when you're talking about sake. The water is very very important. Mm. Right. So. Yeah, I mean, maybe you can you can come back. Maybe talk about more technical things. But you know. Um, well, the wine, grapes are grapes and water is water. I mean, the grape drinks the water from the soil. Mm. But the koji and the yeast and the rice and water, everything's kind of like equally influential. Yeah, it's a, it, they, they, they balance in a nice harmony. Right. right. And also toji, yeah. the brewer. Of course. That's the fifth, yeah. probably the most important de element. De definitely. I mean, there, there's an interesting film on Netflix called The Birth of Sake. Mm. Uh, and that is one of my breweries from Terigawa, from Ishikawa. Uh, and that gives you a very good perspective on on how the relationships in the brewery in the Kora are. So if it, if anybody hasn't seen that, it's worth a it's worth a gander. Oh yeah, I I was fascinated by the whole story. I'm trying to get Yoshida-san. Ah uh, yeah, no to problem. To the show, so maybe you can just yeah. Bring he, it was very interesting when he like he came to follow me around, you know, and my colleague here in New York around New York to to see the the market and how it goes in the summer. And so we had a great time, but we met this director. And then, you know, two years go by and it's in the Tribeca Film Festival. So mm. it's really interesting. Uh, it's a really interesting perspective, in my opinion. Right. Okay. Um, all right. So, and I heard that you have a very, very interesting, memorable experience with sake in Kyoto. Oh, yeah. So, you know, my, my first experiences in Japan, uh, I went to Japan as a very young man at night, no, 20 years old, excuse me. Uh, and I was there to, to help my grandfather uh, and my grandmother. They were there as a guest uh, at Joetsu University in Niigata in the north of Japan. Hmm. And so I was there to, they were there for a prolonged period of time, like three months or four months, just guests of the government. And my grandfather and the grandmother were older. So I was like, oh, my mother went for a month. I went for a month. Mm. So he, he was, she was teaching? She, he was teaching. Yeah. He was, he was going around to the, to the different universities to, to give um, seminars, to mm. give lectures. Wow. Yeah, after he retired. So it was he, he he was an interesting interesting old cat. He's no mm. longer with us. Well, what's the subject? Am I curious? Uh he taught industrial arts. Oh. So he was a master uh, cabinet maker. So he, he taught um education and industrial arts. Interesting. Uh, wow. So but my first experience was to go over to help them and then of course when you're young you got to go off on your own. So you know, I went to Kyoto and Hiroshima uh in in Tokyo. 
And when I got to Kyoto, you know, I was thirsty. I'm walking around, looking, looking through the city. And this is before, you know, iPhones or Google Maps or anything like this. You know, I'm walking around, you know, this giant city. Well, not giant, but big, big city. Mm-hmm. And I can't read kanji. Can't, you know, speak very much Japanese. Hello, goodbye. You know, things <laughs> like this. You know, I'm better now, but still not, a, not, not, that, not that good. And so I arrived to this, you know, I'm thirsty. I'm looking at the vending machine. I'm like, oh, my God. You know, and in Canada at the time, you know, at 20, you're able to drink at 18 in Canada. So I'm like, I need a beer. Mm. So I, can't, I pull up to the vending machine. I try and get the get to the beer. And it, it's not working. The yeah, machine, the that's machine, funny, right? You can buy beer from the vending machine. From the vending it's like machine. a whole selection of it. It's, it's <laughs> I, that, and I love, and this is what I love. That and also, if you ever go, if you ever go skiing or snowboarding in Japan, you can buy cans of hot tea or hot coffee at the base of the mountain mm. i mean that is that is luxury right yeah and it's like <laughs> so many options that you can choose it's it's incredible <laughs> but my option wasn't working so this gentleman came out and, and it, you know opened up a sliding door and it looked i literally looked like a table in a room and there was all these old guys sitting around drinking and so they said oh come in come in and they and they said oh you have a beer and so i ended up in a little japanese you know pub and like not izakaya like where you're sitting down and it's like you know cooking food like it's a it's a bunch of old guys sitting around drinking beers and so i had these my 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 mother had given me these um these sumo wrestling stamps speaking of the sumo stew right so they had these sumo wrestling stamps from canada to give out his gifts so i said okay here's a gift here's a gift here's a gift <laughs> next thing i know these guys were ecstatic they're like all right ah uh, sake I'm like, uh, sure. Next thing you know, I'm drinking one cups. But these guys, you know, three, four hours go by. Man, and I had a rough time trying to find my hotel. You know, I was there. I was there until until the boss boss came in a in a black tinted window car. Walked in, looked at me, and I was like, okay, I think it's time to go. Oh my god! <laughs> wow, you, this is just memorable. I'm sure that's founded your curiosity. Too. Oh, it, it it that definitely helped because it's the it the reason why it was important because it shows the relationship that sake can bring. Mm. Right, one person in the room spoke a little bit of English. I spoke even less Japanese, and I was there for hours sharing sake with people. Mm. So it's it's about sharing and 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 giving and 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 receiving you know it's so to me that was it opened my eyes and that really kind of helped me to realize what sake was uh, in my opinion to to be so special right mm. so that that definitely has it i have a photo of these of these gents somewhere because i had my really? camera wow. yeah i'm gonna find it i'll show you next time i i, okay, I, I, I dig sure. it i gotta go digging <laughs> Yeah, maybe we can put it on the show page too. Yeah, I got, I got to dig. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, so eventually, um, you moved to New York, right? Yeah. So, um, and you, that's that's where you really found Mosake thing yeah. out there. So. Yeah, I moved to I moved to New York uh, 15 years ago. I moved to New York in 2003. Um, I had planned to move a little bit before, but obviously it was delayed because of the the circumstances that were happening here. I thought I'd give it a little break. I moved from Portland, uh, and I moved originally into Washington Heights. So I pulled up in in a in a minivan into into Washington Heights, and had never really been in in you know Upper Manhattan, uptown. And it was it was a, it was a really interesting experience. I moved to New York, uh, and right away I was like, okay, I need to get a job. Hmm. So I you know I looked into the I looked in the newspaper for young kids out there, the newspaper, <laughs> newspaper. The, the New York Times uh, for <laughs> jobs, you know, jobs, uh, help wanted. Right. And there, you know, I looked up all these different places and I kept going around. I was looking for a job as a bartender because I used to bartend. 
And I was going around looking at, you know, trying to get these jobs and nobody would hire me because they wanted New York experience. Mm. So this is when I arrived uh, at Geisha. Mm. But it wasn't actually called Geisha at the time. It was just an empty restaurant that they were doing construction on. Mm. Uh, and it, Geisha was a restaurant that was opened by Fabio and Vittorio, uh, the owners that, that uh, operate Serafina uh, Italian mm. chain. And they had hired uh, Eric Repair from Le Bernardin to come in and design a French uh, Japanese menu, mm. uh, and at the time, also the the, shu- the sushi chef um, that was there was Kazu Yoshida, who now runs Juku. Mm. So it was a really interesting mix of people, and you know, I walked in there, and they were saying, "Well, you, you know, do you have any New York experience?" <laughs> and I was like, "No, but I speak Japanese fluently. <laughs> <laughs> I know everything about sake, and I speak Japanese." Mm. And I lied. And the guy said to me, he said, oh, well, you know, and I had a goatee at the time. I don't know why. And he said, oh, well, you know, if you, you, if you shave the goatee, I'll give you a job as a busboy. And I was like, a busboy? I'm going from bartender to busboy? And I was like, no, no, I, I'll shave the goatee if you give me a job as a waiter. And mm-hmm. so he gave me the job as a waiter. And in that moment, it helped to bring me down the path to where I am today because I really learned a lot about sake in, mm. in that environment. Pretending you knew already, but uh, you were learning. Well, I knew, about, I knew a little <laughs> bit about sake, but I definitely didn't speak Japanese. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> But they, who knows, right? Yeah. Who can find by that? They, 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 it, the couple Japanese people that worked in the place knew, but they were, they were all right with, with me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so, so you learned a lot. And um, yeah, so I heard that you met uh, the Masumi Brewery. Um, Miyasaka-san at the Geisha. Yeah, yes, absolutely. You know, so a lot of times World Sake, the company you know that I work for, is really uh, keen on on doing staff trainings. And so when we have brewery representatives come into town, we like to go into some of the restaurants and train train different people and mm. really you know kind of talk about uh, what makes sake sake and and learn. And Mr. C- Miyasaka was was very enthusiastic about my approach and, 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 you know, my, my love for sake. And so he said, Oh, you know, come, come visit Masumi brewery. Mm. And I was like, okay, I will. And then a year later, I actually contacted world sake and I said, you know, could you think that you can help me out with, with visiting the brewery? Uh, and they put me in touch with Keith, Keith Norum, who works for Masumi. He's the head of international sales uh, and also one of my mentors and great friend. And, you know, he said, all right, come. So I went to, uh, I went to do two of my favorite things. Which right, was well, to wait, wait, wait. So, but, you know, it was not the, back, back then, even now, it's not common to have non-Japanese person working for brewery to oversee the operation, I mean, internationally. So the, yeah, Miyazaka is very uh, open-minded, very like open-minded. forward-minded. Yes, mm. absolutely. Interesting. 100%. One of the premier uh, sake breweries, yeah, Miyasaka Brewing is is called Masumi Brewing on the labels here, unless it's the private label, uh, and there's only one in in New York called the Yawaraka. Um, they're very they're very influential sake brewery, mm, and happen to be uh, World Sake Imports client, which you never knew what's going to happen in your future. Never, <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. Mm. Yeah, but they're very important because they they founded the number seven yeast. So there's 18 different base yeasts that we have, and in 1946, mm-hmm. Masumi founded the number seven yeast in the brewery. Mm, so just so, like uh, the other yeasts are already. You know, in, in existence, but mm. then Masumi created Exa- in 1946. Exactly. Wow. Yeah, and so you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a JSS. There's a, there's a, uh, 
there's a society, there's a um, uh, Japanese government agency that has and maintains the yeast. Mm. And all, all sake breweries are able to take and use the yeast. Right. right? So they're not proprietary. They, have, they can be spread mm. as, as you wish as long as you pay That's the money for it. That's crazy democratic. Isn't it? <laughs> it? It is pretty crazy. Right. Yeah. You almost like a socialist. <laughs> yeah. It, it's like, okay, we found this delicious yeast. Here you go, everybody. <laughs> But obviously, in the, in the top breweries, you know, people can manipulate and play with the yeast on their own. Mm, right. That's where the capitalism come in. Yes. Right. Okay, so um, so you went to Japan with uh, Masumi. Mm, uh, yes, yeah, I went. Uh, I went to the north first to Hokkaido, uh, and I, I did some snowboarding in the north and ate some delicious uh, seafood. Mm. And actually, all of the food in Hokkaido is absolutely out of this world. Some of some of the best I've actually eaten. I was for, very fortunate. I'll be quick because I know we're short on time, and I can just talk, 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 talk. I know talk. I'm controlling yeah. time, yeah. so don't worry about okay. that. <laughs> so yeah, no, I went to Hokkaido, and I and like I picked randomly on the screen, pointed at the place where I was going to stay, this guest house in the Japanese tourist information, and it turned out it was a young gentleman that would studied in Canada to make craft beers. Mm. So I ended up in this guest house where the mother liked to make French cuisine for the set menu. And I was drinking his unlimited craft beers for, for the local uh, uh, Niseko Brewing Company. Mm. And now they've actually grown. I've looked, I've looked into it. I'd like to go back, but they've actually grown into a tap house. So the guest house that I stayed in is actually a, an actual tap house in, mm. in Niseko, in Hokkaido. Interesting. Which is really kind of interesting. Right. Yeah. Mm, maybe if you know someone that you can bring in as yeah. a guest. I would, I would love to. <laughs> get, get them on. I think they might, the English is tight. <laughs> oh, you can translate for them. Okay. <laughs> right. All right. So, so then you went to Japan and after the Hokkaido. Mm. And uh, so you learned a lot about the Miyazaka Shizo. Maybe that, that's how you got more into Defin sake. Yeah, definitely. Um, there, there's there, some of the most influential breweries for me to learn from were Miyasaka, number one, and also Dewazakura from Yamagata. Um, they really, I mean, also Komuizumi, also Sohomari. Like, there's certain breweries that I went to where I really learned a lot from the, from the producers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, It, and also Hoyo, you know, there's a few. It's they, it's hard to list them all because you learn different things from different people. And that's what separates the sake also, is the character of the people really defines the taste of the sake. Mm. So, you know, when you have Komulizumi, for example, this is a, you know, this is a non-charcoal filtered, you know, a little bit more character, a little bit more pizzazz, just like the owner. I you know. actually visited the... Oh, oh, nice! Yes, and uh, I heard um, it takes 15 years from the top of the mountain to for the water to get to their well. Yeah, you know, I don't crazy. quote me on that, but I think you're right. Mm. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, it's it's you know, Saijo is such a remarkable city. Right. You know, if anybody ever has a chance to go visit a sake town or real sake town outside of Hiroshima, it's called Saijo, uh, and there's I believe. I believe there's 15 different breweries there. I, I heard you say back then it was like 33 or something. Oh, really? Oh, maybe okay. less now. Maybe I'm is, wrong. No, I could be wrong. No, it was a while ago, so. Okay, yeah. Now yeah. That we have to say yeah. breweries there. There's a remarkable amount of breweries mm. inside Joe Hiroshima. I feel. Even if it's a very compact, small area, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, um, and then you came back to New York. Yeah. And uh, you kind of left the world of Japan for a while. I did, yeah. You know, I, I left and I, this is where we first met is, a, is at a place called Perea. Mm. Uh, and that was uh, Michael Simon was, was the chef that was running, well, that 
that was it was his restaurant, but also Jonathan Sawyer was mm. was running the kitchen there. I know he's in Cleveland. Yeah, he's back in Cleveland. I haven't seen him in years, but um, he won the James Beard Awards. Oh, did he? Yeah, oh, good, good he, for he's him. He's amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. He's, he's a very talented chef. Yeah, all the the whole crew from Perea was that was an excellent restaurant. It was sad to that it didn't really you know pick it up. It was a, it was a Greek, excellent Greek food. Michael Simon, I think if he was on t- the TV like he is now then then I think Perea would have been a whole different beast. Mm. I think it was just a little bit little bit before its time. Right. You know. So okay. it was that was an interesting place and then I moved on from there. I gave it one year one one year to kick it the can there. And then I moved on to WD50. Mm. So that is uh the legend. Well, unfortunately it's closed but uh you know molecular influence with uh, well you know the chef wouldn't use that term i know uh, yeah, nobody he, does <laughs> yeah yeah he, he he you know it's it what it was it was it was a good good example of avant-garde food uh you know some of the some of the techniques could be classic japanese classic french uh but put together and assembled in in a creative and and fun different way to to seafood or taste food um you know there were some dishes that really really excelled and then there were some that maybe some people didn't like and that that's the whole that was the whole point you know mm. when when we got re-reviewed uh frank bruni came in and i had no idea that i was i was serving him and you know i came into the shift the next day and one of my coworkers was like oh i hope you did a good job last night i was like well what what do you mean <laughs> and he's like well, sir frank frank bruni we're getting re-reviewed i'm like oh no I really hope I had I had a good a good table with him. Yeah. But no, one of the things that I said actually that was that was mentioned in on the about the about the restaurant is that if you don't like the food, it, you know this this creative fun kind of uh, imp- impression or chef's example of the food, you can walk down to Fly, which is no longer there, mm-hmm. um, but or you can walk you know to to wherever other classic place and get get that style of food. Right. So it was a really unique excellent place and then it also really helped me to to grow and learn about wines and and also mm. with with sake it was it was incredible because we we were doing one of the first to to pair sake with some of I the, remember some of the, that. Yeah, I was so these, impressed. So you were behind it. Yeah, it was one of the I was definitely one of the people Dewey Dufresne, uh Chris Clark, one of the old managers, Jeffrey Fisher. There was uh, Tona Palomino. Tona Palomino now works in Chicago for another sake company. Mm. You know, like the, the the web of people that that put their influence on the restaurant right. was very important. Mm. Yeah, it's important, you know, just for the sake history in America. You know, French restaurants, John George, to uh, per se, to those places started to pay attention to yes. sake, and like WD50, they deconstruct and reconstruct. But I think. It, in my opinion, through the process, more flavor elements are more distinctive. Mm. So you can pair sake or wine probably in more challenging way, but more interesting, you know, yeah, way well, of thinking. We we definitely, I mean, like one of the one of the, I mean, there were, there was numerous pairings that were were phenomenal, but there was a foie gras dish with a, on on pea soil. It was a dehydrated pea. Uh, like crusted flour with with beet filling and that paired with with sake that was out of this it was out of this world it was the miyasaka yamaha 50 which we no longer make or bring back into into the states but it was what it was definitely and that was actually glennie goodwin who is back in australia now um doing he was at the bentley bar but i think he's doing their new project i think mm. he's i think he's part owner of their new project and that's another famous you know australian restaurant but back to even to sake with pairing of food like Fat duck. We talking. We're talking about masumi. The masumi nanago, the fat duck 
pairs the Masumin and Ago more than more than any, almost any other restaurant. Like there's mm. there are there are non Japanese restaurants that are opening their eyes to see that sake is made from rice mm. and it pairs perfectly with food. Right, because the it doesn't challenge. I, I think wine is great, but you know sometimes acidity or the tannins kind of uh, counterbalance yeah. the. Yeah, I mean you 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 take you take like uh, artichoke. This is a very hard thing to pair with wine okay mm -hmm. you take the artichoke you take it with some sake i can tell you what sake i can pair it with mm. you know maybe maybe you have a nice glass of arnis since we're here in R roberto's mm. roberto's we could we could have that but like i know a good sake that would pair with, with right so in other words you know like uh, if the tannins are so strong they don't know steak somewhere in between or something tricky sake can fill absolutely the gap right so um yeah in, in my in my opinion sake can pair with anything so, like, I'm seeing the people through the window here eating the pizza, and I'm thinking to myself, mm, maybe the Sohamari Kimoto. This, mm. would, be, this would be delicious. Right. You know? Mm. That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of sake. Sake with barbecue? Absolutely. Sake with steak? Absolutely. Mm. And cheese. Of course. Yeah. There's one of the weirdest. Back in the day in Bozu, in, on Grand Street in, in Williamsburg, uh, Shinji, Shinji who, own, who now is, owns uh, 108, Ichikabachika, he did a, a cheese and sake pairing flight. And he had put, uh, it was a Valderon blue cheese, Spanish blue cheese with Komuzumi Nigori back to the Saijok sake. And man, I would have never imagined that it would be so good. <laughs> it was phenomenal. Mm, sounds like uh, there's no... Never-ending discoveries of pairings. I agree. Right. So, um, yeah, so you um, happened to join the World Sake Imports, um, which actually you founded in 1998, so with a great history. So, um, so you are, you met someone who was quitting World Sake Imports e exactly. for personal reasons. Yeah, no, she was moving on to open up the World Sake office in London, oh. Asami Lewis. Right, yeah. so th that's how you got into yeah, yeah. Well, she she came in randomly because she was the sales rep in WD fifty, mm. and she came into WD fifty, and she said, "Oh my God, I'm I'm going to open up the London office in 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 in, in two weeks, and I've got nobody." But because I was fortunate enough to be invited by Mister Miyasaka, mm. and took my own time to go and and enjoy the wow. seafood in Hokkaido. It's interesting, um, right? Like yeah. how one piece unfolds to the next. Yeah, it's, it's almost even like you know WD fifty. You never experienced expected no. to be working with a Japanese. You got to follow. You got to follow. You got to follow your interests. Mm, I think that right. that's how that's how I try and live my life. Mm. Okay, and now you are responsible for many accounts. I think there are about seventy restaurants in what? New York City oh, yeah. to take care of restaurants. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. So now you have a, um, just under one million dollar sake yeah, in the I market. Sell, I, I sell. I sell a lot. I sell about a million dollars of sake a year, which is a which is a big. A big change from the beginning when I was selling three hundred thousand, mm. you know. So the right around, if you look right around here, you know, you got Momo Momo Sushi Shack right behind us. Mm. There, they they buy a lot of really good sake. Mm. You know, I, I I sell to all different types of places. You're some of my favorite places. You know, Decibel. Uh, it's not you know it's not really refined, but you get a great feel for. You know, an old sake bar, mm -hmm. you go downstairs. Well, that's important, right? Because sake started like, you know, say, like noble, fancy restaurants. Mm. And now, it created a good image of sake. But now, it's like sushi at the supermarket, decent sushi. And it's like, you know, sake, it's becoming for everybody's. I, 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 really, I, hope. I really hope so. And I really, I see it going in that way. 
I mean, if you're going to go for a nice, expensive dinner, there's, you can still have delicious sake. Mm-hmm. But I like, you know, Karasu in Brooklyn. This is an interesting, cool place. You know, uh, Tetsue, which is now turned into sushi, which is by the Nomad Hotel. That that's kind of more upscale. Like I like, I like, I like, a, I have eclectic taste mm. in where to where to consume my sake. Right. Well, maybe I can do that the pairing guide. Yeah. Episode next time. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> I, I love to do that. Right. Okay, so let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll talk about Andrew's favorite sake brewery. So please stay with us. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant from French to Pan-Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and their rarest natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit Corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcast live from your studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Atayama, and my guest today is Andrew Richardson, who has worked at the World Sake Imports, one of the greatest sake importers in the U.S. Uh, for past 11 years. So um, so you have a lot of sake breweries to work with uh, at uh, the World Sake Imports. So, and you mentioned Miyazaka Shuzo oh, yes. many times. I, I love their sake. And um, oh, by the way, Kamoizumi, you know, the Saijo. I just heard uh, the uh, the fourth generation, oh no, the uh, third generation, um, Toshio Maigaki. He just got the, the Medal of Honor by the Emperor. Yes. Right? Yes. It, it, it was incredible. I saw, I saw, uh, I see the news, I see the news on Facebook and mm. I'm like, Wow. <laughs> He deserves it. Right. Because, uh, you know, Hiroshima sake, I mean, the sake is so regional that it's hard to be recognized, but he works so hard to name. He, he is he, he is one of my favorite characters. Mm. Um, uh, you know, Maigaki Sacho is, he is just a, he's a, he's a he's, he likes to climb mountains. He like, he's very fun and, and charismatic and you know boisterous but in a good way mm. so yeah i'm really proud to to i was really proud to see that he he got that recognition and he really deserves it mm. you know they really they really do a lot of uh of good right. for sake and the sake is delicious it is delicious right. you can't get a better warm sake mm. you know sometimes people say oh warm sake is bad sake well that's a misconception mm. uh when you're when you're in japan and, and there's no central heating and it's cold you know, a warm sake is really good when it's f- delicious warm sake. Mm. Uh, if you're getting a box of sake that's produced in a factory, you know, in California or even in, in the outskirts of some big city in Japan, it's a different product than a handmade boutique, mm. you know, warm, warm sake. Right. Okay. Uh, so we talked about Tedorigawa, that's a movie. So maybe you can just talk about another. Yeah, Koshino Kombai. You know, I, I, this is a very famous uh, brewery from, from Niigata, from the north of Japan. 
Uh, and I, like I explained, you know, I, the first time that I went to Japan was in the north, in, in Juetsu, in Niigata. So this is the region that I spent the most time in my first visit. Mm. I've been, you know, numerous times since then. But man, Niigata sake is just really clean, crisp, you know, dry, nice, easy drinking sake. And Koshino Kombai is really instrumental or important in making that taste. In 1970, they helped to shape the entire taste for the region. Mm, that's so, called uh, uh, the, what's it, the Niigata Tanle. Tanle mm, is light and clean exactly. and crisp. Yeah, and so, you know, you might be familiar with Kubota or Hakaison or one of these other really good breweries from, from the north or, you know, numerous other ones. And, and matter of fact, actually, the reason why Niigata it makes, is considered to be, make some of the best sake is because they have more producers, uh, sake, sake breweries, than any other prefecture. So there's a very famous, you know, it's very famous in Niigata because they have more breweries than everywhere else. Mm -hmm. It's now uh, over 100 or 93 or something like a really it's ridiculous a, it's, concentration. Yes, it, 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 they have a lot of producers. Right, and there is a two-day event in March. This is, this, is one of my, this is one of my needs. I need to go to that. <laughs> it's not a want, it's a need. Mm -hmm. I, have to, I have to go visit that. Right. Also the Saijo Sake Fest. These are two... Two journeys that I need to make mm, back to Japan. Right. Okay. And, uh, right. So, I'm curious. I heard there is an event in New York by uh, the Miyasaka Brewery. Yes. You know, we're doing, um, we're doing a really fun, kind of interesting event uh, on November 13th. And it's going to be 6, 6 p.m. till close at Ivan Ramen. And the idea behind the event is that we're doing a sake sampler from, from Masumi, from Miyasaka Brewing. And we have a, a, a brewery from St. Louis, uh, Urban Chestnut. Urban Chestnut is a, is a really good uh, small producer from St. Louis. And what happened was, is um, Katsuhiku uh, Miyasaka, the next, you know, the next boss of the Masumi Brewery, mm. had gone to St. Louis and had met the brewery. And there are sister cities, uh, St. Louis and Sua, where, where Masumi is located in, in uh, Nagano. And so basically, they were to they, you know, they they made made friends, and he sent over a little small sample of the number seven yeast. And mm. this brewery made Konami beer, uh, which is made with the number seven Masumi yeast. Mm. And so we're going to have some of the beer on tap with the sake sampler, and you know, obviously, delicious food from Ivan Ramen. It's highly highly recommended that you make reservations if you're interested in coming. Um, we're going to have. Both, you know, brewmasters, both Toji's that are going to be there, and it'll just be a, a really fun, easygoing uh, experience. Mm. Drinking sake, having beer, eating food. Right, interesting. Well, I just uh, had a lucky job to moderate an event uh, about craft beer and the sake collaboration. Nice. And uh, I learned so much because of, you know, the common elements like yeast yep. and the koji. They can uh, because of the similarity of the uh, fermentation process beyond sake. It's so many like there's an opportunity. It, it's crazy ideas. It is. It, right? You know, it's really interesting that they, they they really like people call you know the misconception is that sake is called rice wine. It's actually closer to a beer. So mm. this is a you know this is what's kind of cool. It's a it's a delicious rice beverage. Mm, right. So I think if you're a brewer mm -hmm. on which it's like which side sake or beer, it's a. Um, Inspiration, right? Because you're always looking for new flavors and uh, sake yeast and the beer yeast. I'm, I'm not sure how common they can be, but yeast is yeast. It can be, you know, in the air or anywhere. 
Yeah, so, there's, there's definitely yeast in the air. You know, that's the thing. When you go into the sake brewery, you have to put your, you have to wash your hands with alcohol, put your boots on, put a lab coat on, put looks like a shower cap on, just mm. so that no wild yeast intermix with right. the. Right, and I, I heard that those sensitive fermentation environment, you're not allowed to eat the natto, no, which is such a yet. strong yeah. yeast <laughs> bacteria. No, no, no good. <laughs> right. Um, anyway, so, but natto is good to protect your. Guts, yeah, so. immune system. It's a, it's, it's a, natto is delicious. Sometimes it's a little rough. Depends on the natto. <laughs> mm, yeah, but I, I know good brands. So, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it's pick, pick and choose, pick and choose. <laughs> right. Well, it's uh, what really represents Japanese fermentation mm. culture. Yeah. Right. You know, it, at Yoparai, in, uh, right around the corner from where WD50 was, they make their own natto. Oh, wow. Yeah. Or they used to. I haven't been there for to taste it recently. But mm, interesting. Yeah, they used to make really good natto. I, well, I heard it's not as hard as people would think. Yeah, I, I've never made it, so I, I, I'd have to mm. you know, not say I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, okay, so you're not just knowledgeable and experienced in the sake business, but also your life, whole life, seems to be devoted to sake. So what is your mission and goals. <laughs> well, that's an interesting question. Because I, I thought I've been thinking about that. And I guess <clears throat> at this point, it's really to, to try and teach people about sake and trying to, to um, you know, sh- share with everybody, not just Japanese culture, what sake is. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, yeah, that that's really kind of where I'm going with that. And and then also, of course, I need to sell sake because that's, mm. that's what I do. Right. Well, I think uh, they're not um, separate, right? No, I think I think that the way that I the, my my outlook is that with education, sake sells. Mm. So I, I really enjoy to educate people about selling sake. I consider myself an educator mm. uh, as much as a salesperson. Right. But also, I really enjoy to help dissect and create lists and do things like this because mm. it's really interesting to try and even if it's not my sake from my 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 um, importer, mm. I like to see what other people have and try and mix and help. To make a really balanced list, I really enjoy that. That's mm. probably one of my favorite parts of the job. Right. When when I'm able to help with that, mm. I, I really I, I enjoy that 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 moment. Right. The one thing we talked about the wine and beer industries, but you know when it comes to sake industry, like traditionally they make they're seasonal. They don't operate throughout. Exactly. You know, like in the factory. No. So the workers are seasonal and uh, farmers as well in the season, and you really have that cultural background, including the human beings. So. Yeah. You, you know, the thing that I think that's interesting, and I say this sometimes in my trainings, is that sake is this really old, spiritual, beautiful beverage, okay, that's used in weddings and ceremonies, and it's really important. You know, there's a shrine in each brewery, but then it's also the mixture of this, like, Sony and, like, you know, modern technology. So it's, 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 a, it's a combination at this point in this little area of time where it's this old, you know, old, you know, Buddhist beverage intermixed with, like, PlayStation. Mm. <laughs> you know, like, it mixes old traditions and ideas and, and, and principles with this, you know, a machine that can polish a piece of rice to 30%, you mm. know. So it really mixes, I think it really is a good definition of, of Japanese society. Right. In a way, hmm. it's kind of minimalist idea, right? Like mm. you really, you know, cut down to whatever you cannot replace with machine. You just have like it's. It depends on the brewery, but you know the way you sprinkle koji over, you it's, know, the rice. Exactly. 
Yeah, there's so many different variables within the production aspect of what makes sake unique mm. also. It's hard. It's like, you know, somebody might say, oh, well, you you know, this is a Junmai or this is a Junmai Ginjo or this is a Junmai Dai Ginjo. But there's so many different things. There's the rice. There's the, there's the, the, the way they polish it, whether they add alcohol to it or whether they, you know, pasteurize it. It's very unique. You know, it's, mm. a very, it's a very cool beverage. And I think that maybe some people might say, oh, well, like I just had a friend that was in from France. And they've, they're from the south of France. And so they're very familiar with, with wine. Mm. Um, but he'd never had this type of sake. Mm. And, I could, and, I, and I gave him several varieties of the sake. And I could see that he was, that, from my perception, that he thought they were very similar. Mm. So, you know, it, sometimes it takes a little bit more of tasting something for your mouth to really register and, and appreciate it. Right. And even with, with re- very umami rich sakes, you know, sometimes you taste that first sip and you're like, woo, what's this? And then like you need, it takes you a little while to adjust to that taste, mm. you know, and get to that, to that next, you know, area of enjoyment. Mm. Right. And also, you know, someone like you can tell the stories and I think, any, you know, there's thousands of drinks and food and to choose from, but you need a story, right? I agree. I mean, and that's, and like every time, every time I go to Japan or every time the Japanese brewers come over here, I got stories because we have, we have interesting times together drinking sake. Mm. And I think that that's really a fundamental part of sake is the story. Right. Yeah. So when you have a sip of something and you have some memories with it, or some uh, episodes, then but, you appreciate like thousand times more. Thousand times more. Right. Yeah, you know, I've I've got fond memories of Buckfast in Glasgow. I've got fond memories of of sake, you know, in in Kyoto. Mm. Uh, I've got fond memories of of sherry in Spain. I've got rosé memories in the south of France. The 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 story from the experience that you share with the people really helps to grow mm. the the taste. Mm. Right. And uh, well, the operating sake breweries, they say it's around only 1,000, which it's is go- declining it, it's so decline, fast. It's declining very quickly. Right, so... Yeah, it's really, uh, it's, it's really a, a shame. Mm. It's, really, it's, it's, a, it's a hard labor-intensive uh, you know, production, and it's, I just, I, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's very unfortunate. Right, right, because again, you cannot operate throughout the year with no. machines, so... This is something really precious. We yeah, have to and even preserve. the even if you look at the rice, the production of the rice. Mm. You know, I think that this year will be an interesting year to see what the sake, how the sake tastes, because of all the problems with the hot weather and the storms in Japan the, this last year. Mm. It'll be interesting to see what what product people produce. Right. You know, because the rice is going to be maybe maybe have some problems. Mm. Maybe mm. maybe I'm wrong. I gotta well, ask a Toji on that one. Yeah. <laughs> We'll see. Um, all right. So, uh, for listeners um, who are interested in pursuing the career in the sake industry, how what's the best way to study sake and learn about sake? Well, first and foremost is to drink it. Mm. Um, to drink and see what you like, mm. and then to drink and drink some of the sakes that you don't like, mm. um, so you can figure out why you maybe don't like something. Uh, and then, I guess. I mean, I followed the, my path through working in restaurants. Mm. You know, I, I've always been in the service side of, of, of restaurants. So that's how I did it. Um, 
you know, I've, I, I would say, you know, Jamie Graves, I think he was on your show mm-hmm. before, yep. you know, he came from the service side, you know, he used to manage some great places and he's moved on for Skernick mm. wines now. Yeah. I think, I think that maybe following through the, through the service industry is the first start. Because mm, you have a free exposure in a e- way. Exactly. And right. background and you also get educated, mm. you know, in the, in the, in the caliber of places that we've worked in, I learned more about food than I would have in probably most schools. Mm, right. So someone like you training people at the restaurants too. So. Oh, yeah. I love to train. Mm. Anytime. <laughs> okay. So uh, where can we find your um, update online? That's a very good question. Um, I'm, I'm on Instagram at uh, Sake Yakuza. <laughs> I know. <Okay>. That, some <laughs> cool. people are like, what? What? But uh, yeah, other than that, I'm not really, I'm not a big social media guy. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 I kind of just... And myself and roll around. Mm, oh, maybe yeah, uh, the Waldosaki Imports website. Yeah, you can you can always find me yeah. there, of course. So, what's the address? Uh, why, why? Uh, it's World Sake. It's www.worldsake.com. Uh, mm, okay. Uh. So, either way, or both ways, we'll find you. Yes. Okay. So, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Yeah, thank- hopefully, you're going to come back. Uh, anytime. Mm. Thank you very much. Uh, it was a great conversation, and I could always talk to you. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. Bye. Bye. So listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japanese at heritageradionetwork.org or kikokatayama.com. And uh, Japan Eats is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. An engineer is Jeet Paul, and thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.